Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I pray, Father God, that your spirit would come in and uh, just settle my heart, settle my spirit. Let me focus in on your word and bring your word to your people this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how the Psalms teach us to pray and teach us how to engage with you. And we love you and we honor you uh, for giving us the Bible. Uh, Now speak to us, teach us through it by the power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their head. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, and it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell you tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. 
Well, I can't tell you over the years how many sermons that I've heard on the seven last words of Jesus. And I've heard uh, this, uh, one of the things that Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that has caused a lot of consternation for a lot of people, uh, just thinking, okay, how could God have forsaken Jesus? And, uh, and I've even heard uh, very intricate theological arguments made about how God would turn his back on Jesus. Uh, some people even said that, well, for that moment, Jesus was no longer fully divine, but his divinity left him, and it was just his humanity there on the cross, and so on and so forth. And, and many things, some of them are heretical, and uh, some of them are just fanciful, and some of them are just downright wrong. And we often forget that as we've been looking at this through this series at the, the last dozen or so psalms, that oftentimes when uh, the Jews would get together, uh, when uh, people would want to quote the psalms, they would quote the first line of the verse and then everybody would know which song, uh, psalm that they were talking about. That even happens today up when we visit our friends up on the Isle of Lewis. Uh, many of them know the Psalms much better than almost anybody I've ever seen. And so you could quote the first line of almost any one of the 150 Psalms and you'd get half the people in the congregation that could start telling you the next line of the Psalm. Because they know the Psalm by the title and it can even become a bit of a shorthand at times so that you don't have to quote the whole psalm. You can actually just quote the title and be referring to the entire psalm. And that's certainly what was happening with Jesus, that when he was there on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, another way he could have done that was just to cry out, Psalm 22. Because he was referring to this psalm. And we know that because if you read down through the psalm, you will see many different references to his crucifixion. They've pierced my hands and my feet. You can see my bones. Uh, and so on and so forth. This is one of the most Christocentric uh, of all the psalms of the Old Testament. However, that's not what we're about here today, really. We're actually using these psalms to teach us to pray but that's exactly what Jesus was doing when he was there on the cross. He was using this psalm for his prayer, crying out to God. And we can follow his example and we can follow David's example to use this psalm for our prayer, crying out for God. Because when we're in turbulent times, especially when it feels like we've completely lost control and everything is going wrong, we will often encounter moments where we don't feel the presence of God. Where we feel as if God has completely left us. We'll cry out to God and we seem to have no response. We'll sing the songs that we've normally sung, uh, but we will not have the same kind of connection with God in our spirit as we sing those songs. Uh, we will listen to different people on the radio or the television proclaiming the Word of God, but it doesn't seem to stir our spirits. And in the end, we feel like in the moment of our struggle, in the moment of our pain, in the moment of our turbulence, that God has abandoned us. And we are tempted to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know, David and Jesus both are teaching us that that is an appropriate prayer to pray. There are moments when we feel forsaken. 
There are moments when we don't feel God's presence. There are moments when we are struggling with all of this. And in those moments, it's okay to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far away from saving me? From even listening to the groaning that I'm giving to you. Oh God, I'm crying to you by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. That is absolutely legitimate for us as believers in Jesus Christ to pray. That is absolutely legitimate for us to cry out. There is nothing wrong with that. It is expressing our feeling and expressing the depths of our feeling. David goes on and he does that down in verse 6. He says, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. In this moment of his prayer, he is crying out with his real feelings. He is crying out with that raw emotion. He is crying out from his limited human perspective of the feelings that he has of God abandoning him, of not being there for him, of not coming through on his behalf. And he's bringing those and expressing those to God. And as Christians, we need to understand that that is something that we all need to do from time to time. There's absolutely nothing wrong with expressing that prayer. The only problem is if we stay there. It's okay to pray there, but it's not okay to stay there. David and I believe Jesus in crying out this prayer are also teaching us to keep going as we pray. Now what does David do? How does he resolve this? Now notice what he doesn't do. David doesn't just sit and wallow in his feelings. And notice that David doesn't accuse God of not being a good God. David doesn't accuse God of not being really God. You know, sometimes we do that. You know, we say, oh, there's evil in the world. Oh, it must mean that God can't deal with it. It must mean that, that he's not strong enough. And, and we can come into actually accusing God of allowing these things to happen, of not caring, of being incompetent to deal with it, or, or any other thing. David doesn't do that, and neither is Jesus. He prays there, but he doesn't stay there. He moves on. And how does he move on? He moves on in a couple of key ways. First of all, notice verse 3, immediately he moves on into the character of God. Yet you are holy. God's holiness is one of the highest expressions of his total character. His holiness is about his complete otherness from us. His holiness is about his absolute perfection, his absolute goodness, his being graceful and loving and faithful. All of that is encapsulated in this word holy. And so David, first of all, he goes to that place and says, God, okay, this is the way I'm feeling, but I know that you are holy. I'm going to honor you as good. I'm going to honor you as loving. I'm going to honor you as holy. I'm going to worship you and exalt you because I know your character is a character of perfection. And then after doing that, notice that he doesn't even stay there. What is the next thing he does? He goes into history. He goes and starts to talk about, okay, God, you've done this and you've done this and you've done this and I know I can see 
from, if not in my own experience, in the experience of other people, how you have delivered them, how you have cared for them, how you have watched over them, how you have provided for them. And I can see that not only for myself, but I can look back and see that for generation upon generation upon generation. So David here is celebrating the history, the salvation history of God and that God has delivered his people. So he cries out from his misery, but then he immediately goes to the character of God, then he goes to the history, and then he starts to make statements of faith about the future. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations." So David takes the prayer and cries out of his raw emotion, goes to the character of God, then goes to celebrate the history of God, and then he begins to celebrate the future of God or the kingship of God or the fact that God is the ruler and because God is the ruler, all history will culminate in the will of God and in the purposes of God. And that's his pattern in general in this psalm. And that's the pattern that we all need to embrace in those moments of feeling abandoned, of suffering, of difficulty, of turbulence, when we feel like everything around us is going to hell in a handbasket. We need to honestly acknowledge what we're feeling. Honestly acknowledge our experience. Honestly acknowledge our perspective. But then from that, we can't stay in that place. We need to move to celebrate the character of God, to celebrate the goodness and the history of God, and to honor God in the future as the ruler and as the king. And as we do that, we learn how to pray prayers in turbulent times. And also, we learn how to pray like Jesus did. Because I'm absolutely convinced that that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's looking at his circumstances. He knows how he's feeling. Because as a fully human being, he had those feelings. But at the same time, at the same time he was acknowledging his pain, at the same time he was acknowledging his circumstances, at the same time as he was acknowledging his impending death, and he knew that he was going to die there on the cross. At the same time he was doing all of that, he was affirming the holiness of God, affirming what God has done in the past, and affirming that even in himself, he would be the culmination of God's future through the resurrection that would come after his burial. And that's the same way that we pray. If God has done it through his son, Jesus Christ, he's done it for us as well. And it's with that kind of confidence that we pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness, for your love, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that even though we deal with sickness like sinus infections and other problems, and even though it might seem like things are not working out or falling apart for us, even though we might feel like you have forsaken us, we know that you are holy. 
that you have redeemed people throughout history and that you will redeem us through the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. And we know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the ruler of nations. And not only is our past in your hands, but also our future is in your hands. And with confidence, we come to you. And we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace and your presence with us even when we don't feel it. We honor you and praise you and pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.